0: This is a special preview of the Slate Academy series, The United States of Debt. For more information and to sign up, go to slate.com debt.
1: The strange thing was, as long as I wasn't moving, I still felt great.
0: Very few of us want to go to the doctor. It's uncomfortable. It's time-consuming. We might get bad news. And then there are the bills we receive after the visit. And they're not insignificant.
2: We're afraid of debt. He's the sole breadwinner in the family.
0: I'm Helene Olin, a columnist here at Slate. And this is the United States of Debt, our ongoing look at how our bills impact our lives. And in this episode, we're investigating medical debt. In 2014, Americans spent about $3 trillion on medical services for hospital stays and emergency room visits, x-rays and blood work, everything. And increasingly, more of that money is coming out of our own pockets. But that doesn't mean paying for a trip to the doctor or getting prescriptions has been getting any cheaper. So we're going to ask a few big questions about medical debt. Why is deciding to go to the doctor such an expensive, tricky proposition for so many of us? Why are individual costs increasing? Why, if you have good insurance, do you still get hit with out-of-pocket expenses? And why, despite the Affordable Care Act, is this continuing to happen to so many of us? Chapter 1. No one asks to get sick. A lot of people like to think they have complete control over their health.
1: Stay healthy. If you're healthy... You can choose a high-deductible health insurance plan. Yeah, superfoods. Right, right. We buy? I mean, that's, to me, that's taking care of my health. And, you know, your food is your health insurance. Yeah. If you're not somebody that is vegan, eating organic food, doing some massage then it's a lot more likely that you need to go to a medical doctor.
0: Do people really ask to go to the emergency room, get cancer, have heart attacks that's just another way to blame the victim
1: every time the mails delivered it's a surprise
0: Lee layman's given up on guessing what he'll owe when yet another medical bill arrives
1: so this one came in then six months later this came in and it's like what's this for you know you just never know you think you're done and then more stuff comes in and maybe it's only fifty dollars maybe it's twenty dollars maybe it's two thousand dollars you just don't
0: know Lee's 64 and lives in suburban New Jersey with his wife, daughter, and their dog, Toddy. He's a computer consultant, and he and his wife earn an annual six-figure income combined. His daughter's done with college. He should be coasting financially. But there are medical bills, and lots of them.
1: Unfortunately, what I inherited was uh, not money, but a lot of high cholesterol and and just uh, problems.
0: Lee has a 20-year history of heart issues. They run in his family.
1: Uh, My dad passed away at the age of 46 uh, of a massive heart attack. So that's something, you know, that you, you grow up thinking about. And as I got older, unfortunately, I had a heart attack at the age of 43. You know, I've been maintaining, exercising, doing all the things they tell you you're supposed to do, but things happen.
0: It's been a scary time for him. The worst was August of 2015.
1: I was walking outside, and, uh, you know, it was a really nice day, and all of a sudden I couldn't I couldn't breathe and I had to sit down. I was actually with a friend, and he's going, do you want me to call? Oh, no, no, that's fine. It'll go away.
0: But it didn't go away. When Lee's wife finally forced him to go to the doctor, they found out some terrifying news.
1: They call it the Widowmaker. It's basically the, the left main artery. And once it gets blocked, you you have like five
0: minutes before you die. As it turns out, Lee had a blockage and had to be rushed into surgery immediately. Doctors performed a quintuple bypass, and he was stuck in the cardiac intensive care unit for two days. But that's just the latest procedure for Lee. Since that first heart attack at 43, he's gone through 10 surgeries and at least 12 overnight hospital stays, not to mention loads of doctor appointments. At the moment, Lee owes $2,000 in medical bills. In the past, the bills have been as high as $17,000 out of pocket. And that's with medical insurance through his job. Not everything is paid for, and over time, it all adds up. So how does he get the money to pay for all this?
1: Basically, I can tell you where you get it. Life savings... Uh, you go against your 401k, you you crank up your cards, your credit cards, and you kind of don't pay (laughs) certain bills. You know, you prioritize, and you try not to, uh, you know, get too many late fees.
0: All of those bills affected his daughter's college savings, too.
1: Unfortunately, my medical uh, expenses ate up the money we set aside for college. So I used uh, my credit cards to pay the tuition,
0: Lee and his wife had originally saved about $60,000 for their daughter's education. But ultimately, some of that money had to go to paying his medical bills.
1: I have all sorts of debt. Um, I would say probably close to $80,000. Some of it is credit card, student loans, all sorts of things. I had to borrow $8,000 against my 401k to pay the bills. Debt seems to be like a domino effect, and one thing leads to another.
0: Lee's right. That's something you've probably realized over the course of this series. Debt leads to more debt. The largest driver of bankruptcy in the United States? A medical crisis. Even though the vast majority of households reporting medical debt cut back on things ranging from vacations and clothing to, yes, even food, it's still not enough. Almost 40% of households who owe money for medical appointments, visits, and hospital stays either took on credit card debt or borrowed money from friends and family to get by. That's from a survey from the Kaiser Family Foundation conducted earlier this year.
3: When you go to the doctor, you don't know whether you want to bring your wallet, a loan application, or uh, bankruptcy proceeding papers. I mean, And that kind of captures it. I think people know that the price of this stuff is really high. And they also know that they can't pay it even with insurance.
0: That's Trudy Lieberman, a legendary consumer affairs reporter and longtime expert on health care and medical insurance. The mountain of debt is so overwhelming, so awful, that Lee, like many people, has even tried to avoid going to the doctor.
1: I had pain, chest pain, and couldn't focus, couldn't concentrate. I was very uh, disoriented. I just knew that this wasn't right.
0: Once again, trying to save money, Lee didn't call 911. How did we get here? Chapter 2, Skin in the Game. Medical costs have been soaring for a while. Let's take a look at the facts. Out-of-pocket costs for someone who gets insurance from their employer have increased by more than half since 2010, according to human resources consultant Aon Hewitt. Part of the surge? Deductibles are also on the rise. Today, almost two-thirds of Americans under the age of 65 with workplace-supplied health insurance have a four-figure deductible. Many people thought the Affordable Care Act, better known as Obamacare, was going to change all that. First and foremost, the ACA was all about getting people insured. And it did that. The percentage of uninsured Americans dropped precipitously between 2010 and 2015. Not bad. But to many Americans, the ACA was also about making health coverage more affordable. For all of us. And it's worked somewhat. One recent survey found that the number of people who said they had trouble paying medical bills fell. From 41% to 35% in two years. That's a drop. But it's not exactly anything to write home about. And many experts, like Trudy, believe that's not enough.
3: The ACA did not really solve the cost problem for many, many families, although it was premised that it would do that. And for some families, it has. But for many families, it has not.
0: When it comes to actually reducing the cost of medical bills that millions of Americans need to pay every day, there's still a lot of work to do. One part of the problem, a concept called skin in the game.
3: Shoving of the cost onto the patient is called skin in the game. And the idea behind this, it's it's the cost control method of choice now in America. The feeling goes like this, that over the last 40, 50 years or so, or maybe even longer, we have been too generous in our health insurance arrangements. And we've given people too much care because somebody else has been paying for the care, uh, mostly employers through the insurance mechanism and so forth. So in order to stop people from getting so much care, we have to give them more skin in the game. If they have more skin in the game, that means they pay more of the bill, then the theory goes that they will use fewer services. And when it comes to
0: shoving more costs onto the patients, many politicians eat this up.
3: And there were hundreds of thousands of public workers who were paying nothing for health care. We then moved to 1.5% of salary, and now to what is, I believe, a more logical system, which is a percentage of the premiums
0: on the health insurance side. So everybody has skin in the game.
1: You know, the other thing is we need to create a situation uh, that has everybody involved. Everybody has to have skin in the game in order to make this work. We
0: the whole point it, yeah. of skin in the game is to put more of a burden on patients. The theory goes... That if they need to pay more out-of-pocket, they'll shop more efficiently, comparing prices for medical providers and other services. So, co-pays go up and deductibles go up. Obviously, if you get sick, skin in the game can get expensive real fast. But ultimately, there's a bigger problem with the whole concept. Customers really can't shop for medical care, like they can bargain shop for clothes or cars or even their dog's health care. Let's say Lassie needs a hip replacement. Chances are, your vet will give you a fairly accurate estimate right from the get-go. In fact, we found that many places will even post costs on their websites. But if you're human, good luck. In 2013, the Journal of the American Medical Association revealed something pretty shocking. When someone attempted to get price quotes on a hip replacement for a 62-year-old woman lacking health insurance, less than one out of five hospitals they questioned could even give a number. And those that did, that number ranged from a little over $12,000 to more than $120,000. So why is it easier to get numbers for your pet than yourself? Well, you're not required to spend money on your pet. That's considered a discretionary expense. As a result, they need to convince you to spend the money. And, They're upfront with the costs as part of that. But obviously, treating humans is not discretionary. Medical providers know that in many cases, you're scared and stuck. You need care, you need it fast, and you want it from the best doctor or hospital you can find. Joseph Cohen, a professor at Queens College at the City University of New York, explains this.
2: It's a captive market. We can't shop around for healthcare services as easily. You know, that we are likely to say yes to health care regardless of
3: what it costs.
0: But not so fast. There is some evidence that skin in the game does get people to reduce their spending. But there's a hitch.
3: There's some very new research that has just come from Berkeley this fall showing that people, very educated people in a, an employer group, a very high income employer group, that people in that group can't even distinguish what they need and what they don't need.
0: In other words, it comes at the expense of their health. People don't necessarily know what to stop spending on, so they cut willy-nilly, eliminating needed care along with unnecessary care, cutting back equally on scans and checkups. Esther Bloom knows this all too well. She's an editor at The Billfold, a website devoted to the subject of money. She's also a contributing writer for The Atlantic Online. She lives in Brooklyn with her two kids. And she's had to deal with a lot of medical bills from when she gave birth to her son this March. How long was your labor? Um, (laughs) it was
4: long. You know, everyone told me with the second child that everything would be speedy and smooth and I'd barely even feel it. And that was not the case. With the first child, I I gave myself two black eyes pushing because labor was so hard. The second child was still awful. um, Not quite that bad. I didn't look like I had been in a car crash when I was done. But it was still by far the most painful and exhausting experience of my life. So you're probably thinking, like most women, she must have decided to get pain relief at some point, right? I didn't have an epidural with my first baby, and I remember wondering whether I should consider having one with the second baby and thinking, no, I have no idea how much that will cost. I know anesthesiologists are expensive. I'm going to try to do without if I possibly can purely in order to save money, and that's what I did. So I ended up doing it unmedicated just so that I didn't have to pay for an anesthesiologist and an epidural.
0: She didn't get an epidural, not because she wanted a natural childbirth. She chose a natural childbirth mostly because it would save money. I did
4: regret it a little bit. The next day I had kind of a... um, I don't want to say post-traumatic stress because I don't know if that's disrespectful, but I really kept having flashbacks. It felt like I had been through a trauma. And to some degree, I wondered if I'd had the epidural, whether it would have felt less traumatic and whether whether I would have felt, you know, better that next day and less like I had somehow wasted an opportunity to do this in a
0: cleaner and less painful way. Arguably, Esther really did need that epidural. And so do you know how much the epidural would have cost? No,
4: I'm really curious, actually. I I would like to know exactly how much I saved on the epidural um, by just, you know, screaming my head off instead. Would your insurance have covered the epidural? I think like everything else, it would have come out of my deductible and, you know, counted toward my out-of-pocket maximum.
0: Okay. And so there's no way for me to determine what it would have been because I would have to call the hospital and say what your insurance was. And
4: and even then they keep everything as opaque as possible. It's part of how they maintain control.
0: Esther's deductible is $1,000. No, that's not $6,000 like some plans out there, but it's not nothing either. But even an expert on money matters like Esther can't really navigate the system or decide what is or isn't a necessary medical service. And maybe most important... Esther is healthy. It's different when you or a loved one suddenly gets sick. Chapter 3, Being a Smart Patient A lot of experts say you can keep medical bills in check and avoid unpleasant surprises by doing one simple thing, making sure your doctor's in your insurer's network. That certainly sounds reasonable. But all too often, it's easier said than done. Let's go back to Lee. Lee was a smart patient. Even as he was laying on his hospital bed, getting ready for heart surgery, he was, unbelievably, thinking about money. He was worried about how much that life-saving surgery would cost him. He already had more medical bills than he could pay. So he checked, and he made his wife check to make sure the surgeon was in network.
1: I mean, I was happy, at least I found the surgeon was in network. but. Uh, the anesthesiologist, I didn't know who they were. You can't check that. You know, it's it's difficult anyway because you don't know who they're going to bring in. You had the angiogram. You had the stress test. You had the cardiologists discussing things. The surgeon discussing things. All these things were kind of separate bills.
0: The surgeon was okay. And as it turns out, the anesthesiologist was too. But there were so many doctors... And no surprise, Lee missed one. The critical care doctor assigned to the ICU wasn't covered by Lee's insurance. Lee says he had no way of knowing that. And even if he did, what could have he done? He only found out a few weeks later when he got a $2,200 bill. And that was on top of all the other bills for the surgery. When we asked Valley Hospital in Ridgefield, New Jersey, how this could have happened to Lee, they told us, quote, Unfortunately, we cannot anticipate every provider who may be called in to care for our patients. To the extent that the patient in question did make every effort to seek care from in-network providers, we find it dismaying that his insurance company would reimburse a consultant physician as out of network for care the insurance company authorized. Close quote. Since then, they went on to add, the doctor in question is now employed by the hospital and, quote, fully participates in all the plans in which the hospital participates, close quote. And what about the insurance company, Aetna? They said Lee didn't appeal the out-of-network doctor's bill and that they agreed to cover the extra cost after Lee contacted PBS and PBS called Aetna about it several months later. When we reached out to Aetna, they wrote us and said, quote, in Lee's specific situation there was confusion with the provider that we worked with who was out of network at the time," close quote. What a mess. What happened to Lee is called balance billing, and it's a growing problem. You visit a doctor or receive a medical service, but that provider, often through no fault of your own, isn't in your insurer's network. The doctor bills. Your insurance pays them what they think the service is worth. But the doctor can still charge you the difference, And that can be a substantial sum. Okay, okay, you're thinking people who choose to go out of network should know they can get hit with a large bill. But like Lee, people often don't make that choice.
2: Um, We just automatically assumed, hey, this is covered, it's emergency. But no, it wasn't. That's
0: Mylene. She's 46 years old and lives in the suburbs of Sacramento, California with her husband and two small children.
2: I'm a stay-at-home mom. My husband is an executive chef.
0: Things are a bit rocky for Eileen and her family. They've racked up $10,000 in debt from a whole bunch of medical issues.
2: It comes from the birth of my son and the expenses from that. It comes from my husband having a chronic illness. He has uh, Crohn's disease, so there's maintenance on that. You know, yearly uh, colonoscopies, medications, checkups. It comes from my daughter getting extremely ill with scarlet fever with severe complications two weeks after the birth of my son.
0: But on top of that, there was an emergency situation back in March of last year.
2: He would just be writhing in pain, like bent over. He'd wake up in the middle of the night and it would last maybe two hours. And it was, I don't know, he was just living through it. And finally that morning I said, you know what, you need to go to the hospital. And I had to call a friend over to come over at four o'clock in the morning to stay with the kids so I could drive him over to the emergency room.
0: And finally... At seven in the morning, after a ton of tests and scans, the doctors finally dropped the news. Mylene's husband, Eric, needed emergency gallbladder surgery. Mylene felt pretty confident things would be okay on the financial side, at least. They were insured through her husband's employer. They'd used that hospital many times in the past. In fact, both their children had been born there. They knew the hospital was in network. But there was one little thing.
2: Although the emergency room was in network, the pending surgeon was considered out of network. We were in the emergency room. It was an emergency situation. We didn't have time to shop around for a different surgeon, nor did we think we had to. No. I mean, we didn't even think about it. It wasn't even offered to us. You know, they just said, "Okay, you're scheduled for surgery at 11.
0: Mylene didn't find this all out till she opened her mailbox one day weeks later and was slapped with a bunch of medical bills. One was from the surgeon's medical group. It was all very confusing. We reached out to Sutter Roseville Medical Center, that's the hospital Mylene's husband went to, and asked them how this could have happened. A spokeswoman responded, saying there are laws that, quote, preclude Sutter as a provider from even inquiring from a patient what their insurance is until the emergency condition is stabilized and treated, So, in many cases, we do not know what the patient's insurance is, or even if they have insurance, until we have provided the necessary treatment," close quote. In the end, Mylene says it was over $3,000 in hospital bills and more than $1,200 for the surgeon's bills. Together, it came to almost $5,000.
2: So I called Cigna and I said I wanted to appeal it.
0: Mylene says a phone rep told her that she would get a phone call or letter when her appeal was decided. She never heard back. Several months later, she called Cigna again. That representative told her they had no record of her previous call, and that it was now past the time limit for an appeal.
2: They basically said that this is what your insurance covers, and we cannot do any more than that. Even though, you know, I argued and appealed that, we, look, we had no choice. The law in California
0: is a bit murky on balance billing in emergency situations. It's possible the surgeon should have accepted the initial insurance payment since it was an emergency situation and most likely should have been viewed as such under state regulations. But the surgeon disagreed. When we reached out to his practice, a spokeswoman told us their policy is to appeal the insurance payments in situations like this. If the insurance company then doesn't readjust the payment, they turn around and bill the patient for the difference. In other words, patients like Mylene's husband are caught in the middle. They're it responsible for the bill. And unless they are lucky and committed enough to get an advocate like Slate or PBS on their side, they're likely stuck with it. On that note, we reached out to Cigna. They said they would investigate immediately, and they wrote us back within a day to say it was all a misunderstanding and they would pay the surgeon's bill as soon as
3: possible. There seems to be a reluctance to deal with the consumer problems that are arising from what we see right now. And I think that as long as we have this system and we keep this, then there has to be some kind of regulation. Right now, we are in an anti-regulation mode in this country. And perhaps that will shift depending on what happens to the election. People are clearly saying they're unhappy and they're feeling it in a lot of different ways.
0: Only a small minority of states have taken balance billing on. In New Jersey, where Lee lives, legislation to address the issue has gone nowhere. Chapter 4, The Snowball Effect. That hospital stay? That was only one of a bunch of medical bills Mylene's family has acquired over the past two years. Remember, her husband has Crohn's disease.
2: It's an ongoing bill. He has to see the doctor, like, I think every three months. And uh, he has to get medications every month.
0: And then there were some complications when Mylene gave birth to their son last year.
2: Before my son was born, like a few days before he was due, I started not feeling him so much. So my OB advised that I should go to the birthing center and get a stress test.
0: Things turned out okay, but there ended up being some unexpected charges Mylene didn't anticipate or think were really necessary. And then her three-year-old daughter got sick.
2: First she got strep throat and then she got, scarlet fever. Her pediatrician, you know, gave her antibiotics, amoxicillin. Uh, She just was not getting better. So I took her back to the pediatrician and he took a look at her and he said, I don't know, she might have meningitis. You know, take her to the emergency room now.
0: It turned out to be a false alert. Her daughter didn't have meningitis and she did get better eventually. But there were complications that lasted the better part of a year. And all of this, well, it caused Mylene a lot of stress. Remember, she'd just given birth. And with everything happening, her breast milk dried up.
2: I fed him formula for one year, and it was $11 a canister, and that canister lasted a week. So $11 a week for 52 weeks.
0: And on top of that, there were other big things special mammograms she needed that weren't covered, an ambulance they had to call after her husband passed out at a wedding, and an emergency room bill from when one of the children cut their chin open on the playground.
2: Surgeon, colonoscopy, gallbladder.
0: And then there are regular expenses Mylene has to keep up with, like her prescriptions.
2: I have glaucoma now, and I have to put eye drops in both eyes nightly, and (laughs) bought my first uh, prescription of it two weeks ago and when I went to pick it up they said it's $75.
0: Lee is also finding all of his medications are adding to his credit card bills. Yes, he has insurance, but like Mylene, it's not free. He still needs to make co-payments.
1: Since the surgery, I have the Crestor, Xarelto because they discovered that I had atrial fibrillation, which I didn't even know it was, Metropolol, which is basically a beta blocker. It slows your heart down. Um, Taking Zoloft, which is to treat depression, but um, also anxiety and all these other things. So every month it's, it's probably about $70, $80 a month just in prescription medication for myself. That doesn't include the rest of the family. You don't even think about that. That's like filling up your tank with gas. You know, that's your medication and you have to take it.
0: Shopping for the cheapest drug is often hard for consumers. For millions of Americans, the cost of pharmaceuticals is on the rise. Take the cost of the common EpiPen, used for treating life-threatening allergic reactions. Back in 2004, one EpiPen would cost you around $50. Today, it's around $300. That's a 450% price increase in a little more than 12 years. Then there are cancer drugs, which many experts agree have gotten more expensive over the last decade as well. A recent survey by Cancer Care found that many people turned to cost-cutting strategies to keep their bills in line. Those included not filling prescriptions, skipping doses, and cutting oral meds in half to make them last longer. None of this, needless to say, is optimal. People aren't taking proper care of themselves. And a study published earlier this year by the Journal of Clinical Oncology found that filing for bankruptcy seems to make it more likely that someone will die of cancer. People with prostate and colon cancer who filed for bankruptcy were two times more likely to die than people whose finances were in better shape. Researchers say they can't tell if stress compounds the illness or if people are foregoing needed treatment to save money, or both. That's skin in the game, and here it's leading to death. Luckily, for most people, things aren't this lethal but their finances are something else. Chapter 5, Impact. Every month, Mylene says she receives at least six separate bills she needs to pay. She estimates they cost her a minimum of $450 a month. Many are from the same health care system.
2: I ask them to do payment plan. I ask them to consolidate it. They will not consolidate it. Even though most of the uh, procedures are done at their medical center, they will not consolidate the bills. So each department, each time we go and have a problem, uh, we have to pay those separately.
0: Mylene's hospital system told us via email that the law forbids them from combining hospital bills with doctor bills. Like Lee, Mylene has raided retirement accounts and other savings to pay their medical bills. Last year, they took $12,000 out of Eric's 401k.
2: I just feel like maybe we shouldn't have Borrowed from the 401k, because that is, you know, our retirement. But we were just so worried about not making it through last year.
0: Lee's also tried to negotiate with hospitals, but with limited luck. When he had chest pains in 2014, he went to a nearby hospital just five minutes from his home, the Hackensack University Medical Center at Pascack Valley. But it turns out the emergency room was out of network. Lee got socked with a large bill as a result.
1: And so I, I called the hospital and I said, I can't afford this, you know, can you reduce it? First, it was like, no, we can't do anything about it. And I said, you, you don't negotiate? No, we don't have to. And so I said, well, can I pay this off somehow, in a, you know, in installments? And they said, yeah, we'll give you two years. I reluctantly agreed to it and just, you just try to figure out how you're going to pay that. You know, I, I did things. I mean, I wrote to the newspaper and you know, the editorial and stuff, but there was really no recourse. And I talked to my insurance company again, and they said, yeah, that's the way it is.
0: When we got in touch and asked about their policies, CEO Emily Holliman sent us a statement. Part of the statement read, quote, the hospital empathizes with patients who are trying to navigate the complexity of the system. Although we don't comment on individual patient accounts, Our billing representatives do work directly with each patient to best accommodate their payments as it relates to the patient's responsibility under their insurance plan. Close quote. Think of it this way. Doctors and other medical providers often don't need to negotiate with patients. For Mylene, this makes her petrified about her family's financial future.
2: Yeah, if we didn't have all this debt, we would try to be saving. I mean, we're kind of running out of time here to, you know, start saving for our retirement. Lee's scared, too.
1: I'm not sure what my health is going to be. I mean, hopefully it'll be good, but I don't see in the foreseeable future that I could retire. My wife and I would like to have more time together for whatever time we have left. Even if we paid off all the medical stuff, we wouldn't have anything. We have nothing left. You know, it's... I just never thought, you know, I thought I made a good living and I thought I was doing all, you know, the right things and uh, nothing is there.
0: And Mylene blames herself, even though no one asks for bad health.
2: It just feels like we've made a lot of bad choices, you know, and we started we started uh, having kids late in life, which <laughs> we love them to death and we wouldn't change it for the world. But in retrospect, it was Probably not a good
0: idea. <laughs> Trudy Lieberman says this is all too common.
3: Well, we like to blame the victim, don't we? I think that's part of our psyche. Uh, it's, you know, it's your own fault. You either ate too many fat things, too much McDonald's, whatever, or you drank too much or you smoked too much. There's always kind of a, a rationale that sort of makes it seem okay, you know, they did it to themselves, so why should we have to pay for them? Uh.
1: I mean, honestly, I never expected to be in this kind of a hole.
0: Chapter 6. What do you do if you're faced with all these medical bills? Well, frankly, as you can guess, there isn't much in the way of advice we can give you. But there are some ways to make bad situations slightly less bad. First, if you're faced with a pile of medical bills, ask questions. One insurance company found 9 out of 10 hospital bills contained errors. Second, if you can't make heads or tails of those bills, considering hiring an outside service to review the charges. These services either charge by the hour or sometimes work for a percentage of the money they save you. Third, don't accept insurance denials as final. Appeal decisions. If they're still denied and you believe you're in the right, file a complaint with your state's Department of Insurance. This sometimes lights a fire under the insurance company and gets them to reconsider the decision. Fourth, Know that financial advisors all but beg people not to take money out of retirement accounts to pay for medical bills. Besides endangering their finances in their later years when they can no longer work, there's another reason for the advice. Retirement accounts are, for the most part, protected in bankruptcy. If you're in such financially desperate straits that you're considering filing, you've given up a powerful protection. Save for your retirement. Finally, take political action like Lee did. He's part of the Consumers Union, a nonprofit advocacy group, and he's working towards raising awareness about surprise medical bills. Ultimately, the only way to make change happen is to raise awareness of the issue. Thank you for listening. I'm Helene Olin, and this is the United States of Debt. Jennifer Lai is our producer. Rachel Cusick was our intern. In this episode, you heard music from Kai Engel, Chris Zabruski, and Jingle Punks. And remember, to sign up and hear more stories of debt in the United States, visit slate.com debt.